This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Cleats to Bibles, officers under siege, defending unvaxxed Red Sox pitcher Tanner Houck, and my losers of the week featuring Nancy's elbow and more. That all starts right now. We're closing out the last week of June, which means Pride Month is almost over. What are the chances they trade the rainbow out for the American flag come July 1st? I'd say probably one in a million. But as much as I believe these woke corporations and their pandering rainbows are ridiculous, they are not my losers of the week, though they do get an honorable and standing mention. But here are the winners of my losers of the week. First up is Democratic den mother Nancy Pelosi, who appears to have elbowed newly elected Representative Myra Flores' daughter out of the way during a swearing-in ceremony. Take a look. Uh, we wanted our pastor to come into the picture. Pastor. Now, Nancy, or Nancy's minions, rather, have a gaslight, I, I mean an excuse, for the footage you just saw. Nancy claims she wasn't pushing the little girl out of the way in disgust, but rather moving her so she wouldn't be cut out of the photo. Moving her with her elbow. That's a new technique. You know, I said it on Fox and Friends earlier this week, but what this reminds me of is that scene from The Grinch when Cindy Lou Who catches The Grinch stealing the Christmas tree, and he tells her he isn't stealing it. He's just taking it back to the North Pole to fix the lights. Nancy is The Grinch in more ways than one. But up next is California. Okay, we could probably just leave it at the state of California for our next biggest loser, but to be more specific, the California Attorney General's Office in California DOJ, which accidentally leaked the full names, addresses, and license types for every concealed carry permit holder in the whole state. But don't worry, the state attorney general's office plans to contact everyone exposed and let them know their freaking information was leaked all over the web. How reassuring. It's hard enough to get a concealed carry permit in California. And now this. We know how California leaders at large feel about gun rights, so forgive me for speculating this might have been a happy accident. But now on to my last loser of the week, this nut job. Melvin Williams of Atlanta is charged in the deadly shooting of a Subway sandwich maker. And why did he kill her, you ask? Too much mayo on his sandwich. Yeah, you heard that right. And it turns out Melvin Williams should have never had a gun in the first place because he was out on bond for child cruelty and aggravated assault. The man has at least eight mugshots that we know of. Wow, a thug who shouldn't be walking the streets or into a sandwich shop ended up committing a heinous crime over mayonnaise. Looks like those felon-friendly rehabilitation policies are working nicely. With this culture of lawlessness, we all lose. Thanks, Democrats and soft-on-crime liberal DAs. You are all idiots, and you are all my losers of the week. But coming up, my next guest gave up a million-dollar salary to pursue ministry and preach the word of God. Kari Willis joins me next. After three seasons in the NFL, my next guest decided to leave the league and the Indianapolis Colts to devote his full attention to advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Talk about believing in something, even if it means sacrificing. With me now is Kari Willis. Kari, thank you so much for being with me. Thanks for having me, Tommy. I greatly appreciate it. 
So this is a very interesting story because it's not often that you hear somebody that would give up the dream of being in the NFL to pursue something like ministry. Why do that? Was the money not speaking to you? Was it a higher calling? What happened? Yeah, I think you, I think you hit it right on the net. It was, it was definitely a higher calling. Uh, I, I enjoyed my time uh, in the NFL while it lasted, and then I felt that God was calling me, you know, to something much greater, you know, something with much more purpose, something with much more joy, something with much more conviction, and honestly, it impact uh, a lot more lives, you know. Um, and, and so I wrestled with it for a little bit. Uh, I dealt with it for a little bit. But once he saved me, you know, my mind was made up, my life, my will, my plans, my dreams, all of those were surrendered to him. And so whatever he demands from me, you know, I willingly give. And however he decides to use me, I'm excited for it. So definitely a higher calling, more purpose, more fulfilling. Carr, do you think there's a world in which you would return to the NFL in some aspect, maybe just as a teacher, as somebody who could be kind of a spiritual advisor or a faith advisor to, to teams and to some of your former teammates? Because I think right now, looking at popular culture, looking at sports entertainment, what we really need now is more people like you who are willing to spread the gospel and have someone like you that people would be more willing to listen to. Absolutely, Tommy. And God has opened uh, a lot of doors uh, along that round for me. And so I'm just praying, you know, for guidance for, for and seeking him for his leadership on which ones I should go through and how, how I should approach that. Obviously, we live in a world, uh, you know, where faith is lacking and you see uh, you see it all over our society. You see it all over our nation, you know, where when faith lacks, when a nation, you know, forsakes the principles of God, then you see the results. And so it's going to show up in our in our pop culture. It's going to show up in entertainment and obviously, you know, in the NFL. So if I could be used uh, by God in that capacity. Um, I have to pray about it and see, make sure I'm doing his will. But as long as he's leading me, uh, I definitely look to, to extend my voice to those that are in need, whether they're, you know, entertainment, basketball, football, whatever it is. So he, he decides to lead me uh, in that capacity. Uh, I'm a voice. I'm just a vessel. Wherever he decides, that's where I go. You know, the sports community and industry I think there's a lot of faith-based people in it, in sports as a whole, maybe not as vocal as you, but what was the reaction from the locker room when you said that you were going down this path and you were leaving the NFL? My teammates were, were, were excited for me. They weren't surprised uh, as far as what the next chapter of my life would be. However, they were a little bit surprised that it was approaching upon them so soon. You know, uh, it, was, it was a very emotional meeting uh, amongst the locker room. Uh, but it's been nothing but positive feedback, you know, ever since, not only from my teammates, but amongst other athletes, other entertainers, you know, actors, actresses, all reaching out, uh, expressing their uh, appreciation, because I honestly feel time, and I'm not the only one, that God is calling to, to higher levels, to step away, uh, you know, from things that demand such, you know, strenuous time and, you know, such effort, and, and put that effort into his kingdom, simply because of the spiritual condition of our world right now. And so a lot of them were surprised. I'm still in contact, you know, with a lot of them. And I believe I'll be in contact with even more of them uh, as time goes on. You got to tell me what this, what this is like, too, whether it be sports and entertainment, people that come from Christian families and then they, they enter the NFL or they enter professional sports, they enter any kind of arena where they start making a lot of money, start getting a lot of attention. Do you think it's hard to keep your moral compass and your faith-based values in that kind of environment? It definitely can be. It definitely can be. I think... For me personally, um, I, I didn't turn my faith to anything else, but I wasn't I wasn't obedient uh, to the word of God at all. And I think that's where um, we, we're finding uh, the lack of power. We're finding a lack amongst, you know, those that believe it's, it's the obedience, it's the obeying God, it's the, you know, uh, forsaken all unrighteousness and things that aren't that aren't of God and walking in the light. And I think that's that's what happened to me. You know, I had got out a little bit, you know, kind of strayed a little bit, not nothing, you know, 
too far, but far enough to where I was not, you know, right with God. And I think there are a lot of other people that are out there that, that believe, but they're, they're straying far away from the principles, from the doctrines and from the, the obedience that the word calls us to live to. And if I can, you know, be a light and example to many, then, then, then I can, or to any, honestly. And so um, that's, that's kind of what happened to me. And there's plenty of others out there. I think you're right about that. There are a lot, maybe not as vocal as you, but I want to get your take on something else that happened this week. There was a big Supreme Court ruling that was a victory for not only the First Amendment, but for religious freedom and liberty, and that was Coach Kennedy. is a high school football coach who was not rehired or essentially fired for praying alone at the 50-yard line after high school games. Now, they said that this breached the separation of church and state. It was a private moment, him praying. He didn't force anybody else to, but the school fired him for it. The Supreme Court had his back, though, do you think we're going to see more of this now that we've got this Supreme case, Supreme Court case? Do you think we're going to see more coaches and, and more athletes being more open about their faith around others? I sure hope so. I sure hope so. And not only in sports, but but in every other realm of life, it almost seems like uh, the moment they took God out of our out of our society, you know, things begin to tumble downhill. You know, taking prayers out of schools, you know, and, and, and everything like that. And so I think that as a result, we see, you know, the, the blood on our, our nation's hands. And I think that the more people that can that can stand up and be vocal and not be afraid, you know, to be different and not be afraid to proclaim Christ, but also live Christ, I think that that'll be, that'll be nothing but beneficial for our nation. And, and you see, historically, you see what happens when nations, you know, stray away from God and, and those that stick closer to him, you know, they're blessed because of it. So I definitely um, I'm glad that he was, that, that they ruled in his favor, you know, and I hope to see more of that going forward. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's interesting now because we've got the glorification of about every other value out there, whether it be LGBT, BLM, whatever kind of societal grievance people have, they're welcome to express it in schools, in the public forum. But when it comes to faith in God, Christianity, uh, a higher being, for some reason, it seems like there's not equal treatment there. But I appreciate what you're doing. And I think that you've got, I know that you've got a bright future ahead of you. And I think there's so many athletes who are going to be inspired by you, not just athletes, but Americans in general. So God bless you. Good luck on your journey. And if you're ever in Nashville, Tennessee, we'd love to see you. Thank you so much. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, I'll be traveling down there sometime soon, so hope to see you. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, come on by. Thank you so much, Kari. All right. Up next, did you know when an officer is injured in the line of duty, they're often largely abandoned by their departments and left to face their mental, physical, and financial struggles alone? Well, that's where Wounded Blue comes in, and Randy Sutton joins me next. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it... <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Did you know every year over 50,000 American law enforcement officers will sustain injuries from assault on the job accidents ranging from minor to catastrophic? Most of us assume their agencies, departments, and the almighty government would be responsible for taking care of them, but no. That's where Wounded Blue comes in. Joining me now is my longtime friend, retired Las Vegas police lieutenant and founder of Wounded Blue, Randy Sutton. Randy, I'm glad to have you in Nashville. We've been friends for a very long time. I've been a big supporter of Wounded Blue and everything that you guys do, but I want to go into that that intro that I just read, because I, as a big supporter of law enforcement, was also unaware that when an officer is injured in the line of duty and they sustain 
physical wounds, mental wounds, psychological wounds. Their department doesn't pick up for them. In fact, sometimes their apartments largely abandon them. It's shocking to me. You know, you have brought up one of the most important topics in law enforcement today. And it's also um, probably the least known topic. Uh, now, I was a cop for 34 years. You know, I did 10 years in Princeton and 24 years with the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department. And what brought this awareness to me was what happened to me personally when I suffered a stroke in my police car, which ended my police career. And then my own department turned its back on me and, re and refused to pay my medical bills until I actually had to go to court. And they spent tens of thousands of dollars of taxpayers' money to fight me, even though they, they knew they were legally obligated to pay my, my bills. And, and what it did, Tommy, it, 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 it hurt my heart because here's a department that I literally almost gave my life for on more than one occasion who literally just said, you know what, you're just a number to us now. Uh, you're no good to us anymore because you're, you're gone. But I thought, quite honestly, that I was the Lone Ranger, that this was an aberration. But when I retired um, from being you know, so active in the law enforcement training community and being in movies and TV and writing books, cops started reaching out to me from around the nation. Not because I could do anything for them, but simply because I was a name they recognized with some of these incredibly heartbreaking stories. Randy, I was shot in the line of duty. My chief never came to visit me in the hospital. They're not paying my medical bills. I'm not getting the medical care I need. Not one, not two. But Tommy, I'm talking about 10 and then 20 and then 30. And it was, it, was, it was devastating to me. I'm going, wait a minute, hold on a second. You mean that you can get severely injured in the line of duty? I mean, what happened to me, I had a stroke, okay? Was it job-related? Yeah, of course it was. But it wasn't like getting shot. Mm -hmm. But now these officers who are literally being shot in the line of duty are now telling me the same thing. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, hold on a second. There's got to be a resource for these men and women because every single one of these communications ended with the same kind of thing at the end, saying, Randy, I feel abandoned, I feel alone, I feel forgotten. And you, you know from your experience that law enforcement has an incredible suicide rate anyway. Well, now you add being severely injured in the line of duty and it goes up dramatically and no one's keeping these statistics Tommy but what is heartbreaking is you know I reached out to these folks who contacted me and and I realized that there was no resource for them and that is how the wounded blue was born and we are the national assistance and support organization for injured and disabled law enforcement officers what's crazy to me is that that can possibly happen that departments could turn their back on those that risk their lives for that community, for that department, for this country. It's astonishing that these people could be put in that position. But we talk about law enforcement officers, even those of us that advocate for law enforcement officers, when something tragic happens to them. It's a headline. It's a blurb. Uh, of course, at Fox News, we cover it heavily. But then, undoubtedly, when the cameras go away and the headlines go away, it becomes old news. That person, though, is still debilitated. That person is still scarred. That person still has bills and trauma and, and everything else to deal with, and it feels like no one cares. And then when you add on top of that that they don't have financial assistance, I can't imagine what that's like for them and for their families. Oh, it, it is it's heartbreaking. You know, and, and you, know, uh, you are such a strong supporter of law enforcement. And you were actually at 
our event where we honored a number of officers with the Blue Heart Award, which is the Purple Heart for Police that we created at the Wounded Blue. And you heard some of the stories, and I know that you were moved by them, and especially because you were actually face-to-face with, with these folks who have literally been... I, I'm, let me relate a story, because I think that the, the, the viewers here are going to listen to this and go, wait a minute, how is that even possible? So one of the people that you met was an Oklahoma police lieutenant, a small community, and they don't get paid very well in Oklahoma, all right? They get paid $35,000 a year, all right, which I'm not even going to talk about that for the moment. Uh, So this this guy has got a family, he's got a wife, he's got kids, and he loves policing so much, but he's trying to take care of his family. So he's got two full-time police jobs. One is a lieutenant, one is a patrol officer on another department. And one afternoon, he gets called to back up another officer on a car stop. This officer had made a car stop on a vehicle that was all darked out, and he, and his, and he, he had great instincts. He said, I'm not going to approach this car without a, without a backup. So our lieutenant got there, and uh, he told him what he had. And there, as they walk up, now this is all captured on video camera, the vehicle takes off. They get in a pursuit. As they're pursuing the suspect, what they don't know is there, there are three hired killers on the way to kill a federal judge. And they're not going down without a fight, right? So as they were in pursuit, you can see that the back windshield of the suspect car breaks out because they fire at our lieutenant with a high-powered rifle and hit him in the forehead. He goes unconscious. You can see from the dash cam of the, of the patrol car uh, behind him that his vehicle, you know, uh, rolls a ton of times, hits a tree, and we have an officer who is absolutely, incredibly lucky to be alive. They don't pay his medical bills for a year and a half, Tommy. He loses his house. He loses his car. Um, they don't know how they're going to make it. What is the rationale behind that, Randy? Because I don't understand. What are the rules and the regulation? Does it vary by city, state, department, and how they could possibly prolong that for over a year? I mean, that is enough to send somebody into homelessness, really. You're absolutely right. And it wasn't until, and this is the power of the media, um, somebody told a local news station about it. They exposed it, and suddenly, somehow, um, the bills were paid the next day. But... This officer never got the medical attention that he should have gotten. They, they sit, now, he's got a bullet in the brain, right? They tell him, uh, oh, a neurologist, you don't need that. That's medically unnecessary. They never gave him the proper medical care, Tommy, to this day. And then they fired him. And they gave him one-year salary, which is $35,000, and they said, you're done. This is the tragedy this is, this is what is not known in America. This is why the Wounded Blue is such an essential component to the new law enforcement reality. Because, I mean, I tell you about it, and I can't believe it. And this is happening across America. Now, if you're in New York City, because they have a strong union, they have strong workers' compensation laws, you're going to be taken care of medically, you're going to be taken care of uh, financially, and in other places too. But there are so many areas where, now you ask me a question, and I'll tell you what the real, and, and this is, this, I, I, this is going to sound weird, but it, this is the reality. 
It's almost like organized crime. There are third-party administrators out there, and I'm talking insurance companies. How do they make money? They make money by not paying your claims. And that happens with law enforcement even when they are severely injured in the line of duty. And I was actually, now, you know, I've been fighting for, I've been fighting for police officers for a lot of years. And I've been fighting this, this cabal, this very shadowy cabal. And I was actually warned by someone in, in that community that there are millions and millions of dollars at stake here and I should watch my step. So this, thought, this tells you that there is a lot at play here that, that Americans, you know, most Americans support law enforcement. I truly mm -hmm. believe that, even though we've got this insane... It's a fringe. It's the loud yeah. vocal fringe. But I, I'm with you. I know that the silent majority backs and, the and, blue. But they don't, they, they don't know. And so part of, you know, the Wounded Blues, um, you know, what we do is try and get awareness out so that these law enforcement officers across the country know that the realities, because the, you, know, you know more than most what the morale is of law enforcement today and, and how far-reaching um, the devastation of law enforcement ranks because of retirements, resignations, uh, the inability to recruit uh, is now, you know, encompassing America, and it's making America less safe. Oh, it absolutely is. I can't imagine what officers are, are grappling with. A lot of them go into that field knowing that it's dangerous and the danger doesn't bother them. But to take the danger and then the constant ridicule and demonization by the mainstream media, oh, and then, by the way, politicians that want to defund them, and then you add on top of that, if you were to get injured in the line of duty, now you risk being abandoned by your department and being stuck with medical bills. Oh, and by the way, you can be sued and hold civilly liable. Oh, and by the way, let's not forget that the families of those that are, are shot by officers, officer-involved shootings, they're paid out millions. George families. George Floyd's families paid out millions, every single one of these families, millions, millions, millions to resolve those claims. Yeah. And there are people that are dedicated to making sure that those who are, quote unquote, wronged by police are getting their payouts. Oh, it's an industry. Isn't it Benjamin Crump? Isn't that his name? <laughs> yeah. So he is the yeah. one for for folks that are not familiar. Please look up this man because he is the one that swoops in every time there's an officer involved shooting, swoops in and gets these cities, these departments to pay out hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars to families. And instead yep. of taking it and going through the judicial process to see if that officer was actually in the wrong, that the city just wants to get rid of it, so they just, they just issue a payout. And then just everyone shuts up. And then these families yep. are getting all this money, right or wrong, and the families of law enforcement officers who are shot in the head, they're left with the bills? It's astonishing. It, and it's heartbreaking. You know, and I literally, I live with these stories every single day. You know, what the Wounded Blue does is, so, you know, your viewers know what we do, is we are a group of law enforcement officers. All, every single one of us has been shot, stabbed, beaten, run over. Uh, everybody has been severely injured, either, either physically or psychologically in the line of duty. And yet, I got to tell you, Tommy, these are, I, I've never worked with a group of people more dedicated that continue to want to serve even despite of their, their injuries. They want to continue to serve, and they do so by being certified peer support counselors for injured and disabled officers across the nation. And we've helped more than 10,000 law enforcement officers across the nation because 
Um, I, and I, I can tell you, I know for a fact, because I have had this conversation with the officers who we've helped saying, Randy, if it weren't for your team, I would have killed myself. This is, this is incredibly dramatic stuff. There is, and, and I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not sugarcoating anything. I am not uh, uh, you know, taking this and, and trying to be um, exploitive about it. But the reality is so true and so real and so much in my face, literally every single day, that, that it's, it's, it's imperative that we get this word out to the American people because I know that they support law enforcement, but they don't know how. They don't know how, besides having a thin blue line, they don't know how to support law enforcement. Right. Well, we're definitely, you know, I'm a big supporter of Wounded Blue. We're going to put that up so people can donate. There's so many groups that are behind this message. Unfortunately, the narrative with law enforcement has become largely partisan and political, but it shouldn't be that way. We should take care of our officers. I do have to ask you before I let you go, though, Randy, because I'm a big supporter of law enforcement, as you know, and I feel like 95% of the time the officers get it right. But there's a lot of talk in the media, still talk in the media, about what the heck happened in Uvalde. <laughs> and you've got to give me your take on it, because if there's anybody's opinion on it, I trust it's yours. And I want to know what your analysis of that situation is. And I have been following this since the, since the second it began happening. I mean, I watched in real time. I've reached out to my connections. And, and I'll tell you what, exactly what this was. Tommy, this was the, probably one of the most devastating uh, um, events and, and reveals the lack of leadership within that agency. And, and this entire debacle, which is the only term that I can use for it, could have been prevented had there been legitimate, honest, well-meaning leadership in place in that community. Uh, now, you're talking about a police chief who, um, and, and, and I don't know... I don't know if his politics played a role in this, but I can tell you that, that um, in, in examining the police chief's um, background, he was a supporter of Beto O'Rourke and of... Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. You got to stop for a second. He's a supporter of Beto O'Rourke. Beto, the one that crashed Governor Abbott's press conference and said that he's got blood on his hands and he's a liar and he's this and he's that. You're telling me that the chief that could have been or his leadership could have been responsible for this tragedy in some part, is a Beto O'Rourke supporter. Correct. How, why have I not heard that in the media? <laughs> and, and how do you know that? Are you, are you just looking at his social media, or how do we know that he's a Beto fan? Um, it's because he, he gave money to him. Why so, have I not heard this yet? Well, <laughs> well, he's not only a Beto O'Rourke fan, he's also a Joe Biden supporter. So we're talking about a police chief whose whose actions are are so questionable. I, I mean, now finally it's coming out, right? That you know um, that you know the, his leadership was devastatingly inadequate, um, and we still don't know. We still don't know the realities of what took place here. We don't even know the team that took this guy out. Um, there has been. You know, and then of course the DOJ being involved in it, you you wind up with a political, you know, portion of that which now I don't trust. The, the the Texas Rangers are the ones who should be doing this investigation, okay? Because they are they are uh, you know above reproach. Um, because we need to know the people of America need to know the good, the bad, and the ugly here. Now you know, I mean, it hurts my heart 
when I see a failure of police leadership. But Let's go back to what happened, though, at least what we know so far, because mm -hmm. the, the, at least the narrative that we're hearing now, from all we know now, is that they took them a whole hell of a long time to go into that school, and that they right. were waiting, and that they thought that the, the suspect had barricaded himself, even though they were getting calls from children in the building. Yeah. Is there any explanation in your police work or, or your knowledge of law enforcement strategy and technique where that would have been a response that was warranted in any way, shape, or form? Not a chance. Not a chance. Um, those officers uh, should have gone in. Uh, now, you remember this, that, that law enforcement is a paramilitary organization. The on-scene commander, and this is the way it's done everywhere in America, the on-scene commander is the, is the highest-ranking officer of the agency that has the jurisdiction. In this particular case, it was that police chief in who's this is only a six officer department okay he's the he's the incident commander the fact that he came out publicly and said i didn't know i was the incident commander is an embarrassment it's an embarrassment to law enforcement everywhere and then he's trying to push off the the responsibility everywhere it falls solely on him now um if he didn't want that responsibility he can hand it off to somebody that's on the scene that is that is prepared whether it's the department of public safety whether it's the uvalde police department whoever it was but no this is that's why that when i tell you this is a, an extreme failure of leadership that's that's really the the gauge here because now all these officers who are there i guarantee you they wanted to go into that room they were told not to and when this investigation is done you're going to hear that there's no doubt in my mind. Now, so they were told to stand down, essentially. Of course they were we told know to now. stand down. Well, you know, this is not unlike many stories that we've heard out of Portland, out of Seattle, yes. where it's somebody at the administrative level or in a high position yes. tells the officers on the ground to stand down to let, you know, havoc. And, of course, this is a situation different than the riots and everything that we've seen in BLM 2020. Right. Different situation. But a little bit of the same theme, at least from what we know now. No, you're right, and, and, and you, you remember that, that in Portland, I spent a lot of time in Portland talking to the Portland police officers. I actually went undercover during, during the riots, um, and I dressed like I was an Antifa punk. I'd like to see and that, Randy. <laughs> it was pretty interesting, i got to tell you. But I had the opportunity to talk to a number of Portland police officers in my role as a retired police lieutenant and founder of the Wounded Blue, and as a journalist, because you know I have a show, my own show called The Voice for American Law Enforcement. And so I was, I was interviewing a number of these guys who, many of whom only talked with, you know, an anonymity. And I got to tell you, Tommy, I, the Portland Police Department officers are some of the best trained, the best motivated. I, I've, I've rarely seen a department that had, that, that their officers were so incredibly, um, uh, they, they wanted to serve their community so bad. And the fact that they were literally pulled back from their police leadership, which is incompetent, uh, their mayor and city council, which is we radical. Yeah. Um, and, and they have so now you see the devastation of the Portland police. They are in they're, they are they have been forced into ineptitude by the leadership. And it's it's such a horror because I saw. These officers, I mean, literally, they were breaking down crying, telling me, Randy, we want 
to, we want to serve our people. We're not allowed to serve our people. The mayor there is, a, is, is just an incompetent. They're, they're, and, and then this, 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 the state legislature there, Illinois, Washington, have enacted the most incredibly draconian laws that hinder the, the ability of law enforcement to actually enforce the laws. And well, that's why you're concept. seeing, in fact, it was on Fox News just the other day, that the, that the solved rates of homicides in the United States has dropped dramatically. Why? Because of the, 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 the defunding movement, the entire tenor of the, of the, uh, you know, the sociological implications of, of the uh, anti-law enforcement lobby. And that's what it is. You know that there are people making a lot of money by being anti-law enforcement. You know this. People and, with their own private security that are well, anti-law enforcement for us little people. And, and, the, and the political left. They're, they're fundraising on this. And literally, the body count is rising in America. You know, I, I, don't, know if I, I don't even know if I told you, but uh, I have a new book coming out that, that is all about this. It's called Rescuing 911, The Fight for America's Safety. Because if we don't, Tommy, if we don't come as a nation, if we don't come together and, and unite against literally, and I, you know, I, I use this word because it's real, the forces of evil. Right. Because there are forces of evil that are that are literally that are are, are literally affecting the, the the safety of America. There's millions and millions of dollars of George Soros money being thrown into the mix here to destabilize the entire criminal justice system of America. I'm glad you brought up the word destabilize because it seems like a lot of what we're experiencing right now is not just an accident of destabilization but a plan. Yes. Randy, your book's coming out soon. We need to have you back. Anytime you're in Nashville, please come back. Uh, we hope we don't have any more tragedies for you to break down, but we always appreciate your insight. And for everybody, please go support the Wounded Blue. These officers need you. Their families need you. And we all wear the thin blue line. We love law enforcement, but it's time to put our money and our work where our mouths are. So thank you, Randy, as always. Thank you. It's a pleasure. And up next, Lib members of Woke Sports Media have their forced vax pitchforks out, and this time they're going after Red Sox pitcher Tanner Houck. Oh, you bet your baseballs I have some final thoughts. And that's next. If Red Sox fans want someone to be mad at for the Blue Jays' loss, they should pick the MLB itself, not unvaccinated Tanner Houck. Oh, it's time for final thoughts. Red Sox pitcher Tanner Houck is the best reliever in Boston's bullpen, but he wasn't able to throw a pitch against the Blue Jays because he's not even allowed to enter Canada. Why? His personal decision to remain unvaccinated and the People's Republic of Canada's mandatory COVID-vax policy. So, of course, just as they did to unvaccinated Kyrie Irving and unvaccinated Aaron Rodgers, the libs of sports media blame unvaccinated Tanner Houck for the team's loss against the Blue Jays. Here is MLB Network's Christopher Russo in his diarrhea of the mouth. The Red Sox can't be an enabler. This is what the Nets got killed for. These Red Sox cannot be an enabler to Houck, and they have to tell him in uncertain terms, if you want to pitch for us in this division against that team who we need to beat, you have to get vaccinated. 
I mean, no, I mean, no, I mean, those are your. I mean, listen, did the Yankees make Judge get vaccinated? Probably not, but they encouraged him, and I'm sure the Red Sox have done their bit to encourage Hauk too. But you can make the argument that if you're the Red Sox, you cannot allow this to happen. Excuse me, what happened to my body, my choice? Haven't y'all whacked out leftists been screeching that for a week now? Does it not extend to a forced jab in the arm? The hypocrisy is mind-blowing, but also predictable. If Boston fans want someone to blame for the loss, blame Major League Baseball itself. The MLB is all about rights, equality, and inclusion when it comes to black squares and rainbows, but that sentiment never extended to the unvaccinated community. The league should have stood by its players from the get-go and told Canada, Trudeau, and the Blue Jays to pound clay until they're ready to let all players play regardless of vaccination status. And don't even get me started on the pearl clutchers who want to chalk this up to public health and safety. The vaccine, in however many doses, does not prevent infection or spread. So why does it matter that Tanner Houck isn't vaccinated? His personal decision doesn't affect anyone else's health. The vaccine mandate is the most worthless mandate in all of sports and one of the dumbest in all of recent history. So if libs and fans alike want to be mad at someone for a Red Sox loss, be mad at the MLB for not standing up to Canada in the first place. And good for Tanner Houck for standing his ground. Not everyone has that kind of intestinal fortitude. And a note to MLB Network. Your wokeness is a clear indication you don't understand your audience. Baseball fans aren't green-haired Twitter warriors and baseball players? Well, they're mostly conservative, so take a freaking hint. Those are my final thoughts from Nashville. God bless and take care.